Well, glory to God. Good to have you here today. We're going to be over in 2 Samuel chapter 2. 2 Samuel chapter 2. If you're up on Facebook, I gave you this question to ponder. How would you handle having a promise God made to you through a prophet? You are waiting patiently for it. You are passing tests along the way. You refuse to act dishonorably to get what God said he was giving to you any other way than God giving it to you. And then you see it go to someone else. How would you feel? How would you feel if you were David? And you've been tested. You've been waiting. You've been groomed. God has told you, I'm giving you the kingdom. You are going to rule and reign. He's been chased around the, the countryside by the army of the very people he's supposed to be ruling over. He's been betrayed by the very people he's supposed to be ruling over. No matter how much good he does for them, it seems like there's always someone that will come and betray him. And then he finally gets to the spot where, okay, I'm not going to kill Saul, but Saul dies. How many of you, if you were in David's shoes, how many are thinking, oh, finally, here it is. (laughs) What I have been believing for, it is now mine. Have you ever had something? That you thought God had promised you. You were sure God had promised you. Maybe it's something that God promised you generally in His Word. Maybe it's something that God specifically said to you, this is coming. But it hasn't happened. And all of a sudden, you see something that might be, might be it. Oh, I think that's, I think that's it. I think that's what's coming. It might be a new job. It might be a new house. It might be something that God's bringing to, whatever it might be. But you, you can see it around the corner. You can almost taste it. There it is. There it is. We we can get it. And then what happens? It goes away. That's apparently that wasn't it. One of the things we're looking at as we're looking at this series in in um, honor is the enemy's trying to get you to lose hope. Because if you lose hope, you don't keep pressing in. You don't keep going after it. You begin to think, well, maybe this is what God wants for me. Maybe I didn't understand what God wanted for me. And he will tell you a compromise. You miss God. This is not what God had for you. This is what God had for you. Now just take it and be happy and stop being dissatisfied with the things that God has blessed you with. Yeah, I guess, uh, I guess I'm just being too greedy. Just, I guess I'm just believing for too much. Yeah, I should just be happy with this. Well, is the reason that what you're believing for, is the reason that it keeps eluding you, is it your fault? Is it God's fault? Is there something that you can do to help get it to you? That's what we're going to look at here today in this story in 2 Samuel chapter 2. Now last week we were looking at the, uh, in particular the person who came up to David and said, Saul's dead. I did him in. I killed him. He was already on his way out. I helped finish him off. He asked me if I would help him. This man only could see a reward because he walked in a level, in a lower level of honor or no honor at all. And he thought that David would honor him. And David said, uh-uh. Uh, I'm going to just, words of your mouth. You said you killed him and you will die. And he had one of the young men come over and he he killed him. He was expecting. He was expecting a reward. People 
who walk in a lower level of honor cannot see and cannot understand the things that people who walk in higher honor do. This is why we need to, to walk in higher honor because the more I do, the more I can understand things from God's perspective. I cannot understand things from God's perspective if I keep hanging on to, uh, to the lower levels of honor. One of the things that will define a level of honor for you, one of the things that will tell you whether you're walking in that level of honor is when you walk in honor, you do what someone over you wants to despite how you feel. That is a level of honor. Now, in order to fulfill that, some people have have put restrictions on it. These restrictions demonstrate their dishonor. People have said, all right, well, I understand that God has said in His Word that I should do this and I should do that and I should go this way. So, I'm going to see if that's true. I'm going to give this a shot for a whole month. You ever done that? Maybe you didn't start off thinking I'm going to give it a shot for a month. You said, I'm going to give, I'm going to go, I'm going to go after this thing. And after a month, you got tired of it. You know why? Because you said you were serving God's view, God's will, but you're actually serving yours. See, you were the one that you served. No, no, no. I was doing this because God said, no, you were doing what you thought God said because you thought it would get you what you wanted. You served your will. You served your intentions. Do you remember a verse of Scripture in which the the, uh, disciples came to Jesus and they said, how many times should I forgive my brother in a day? Up to seven times? You see, what he's trying to say is he was going, he was willing to go over and above what normal people would do. And just think about this. If you had somebody in your life who sinned against you, not sinned, not did something, sinned against you seven times in one day. How many of you after the second time are done? Third time. Fourth time. You see, we had different levels in which we'll get there. Fifth time, I don't think too many people are getting past. This, this, you, you cannot tell me that you're sorry for what you did. This is the fifth time today. Fifth time. And what's God say? What's Jesus say to, to the disciples? I don't say to you seven times, I say to you, 70 times 7. I don't know if it's possible for somebody to sin against you that many times in a day. What he's saying is, stop putting the restrictions on. As long as you have restrictions, as long as you have an expectation of time, you're not doing what you need to do. See, you're walking in a lower level of honor. You think you're walking in a higher level of honor, but you're not. You're walking in a lower level of honor. Let me ask you this. How patient is God? How long will God wait until He brings about what He said? He don't care. Remember in the in the New Testament, he said, Behold, I am coming. Quickly. How long ago was that? <laughs> He's, God is able to wait. He is able to see the thing on through. When we get to that place where we're able to see that thing go, go on through and stop waiting. Well, I gave God this much time. It didn't happen. It didn't come about. And we're ready to just pack it in and go. We're not developing that level of honor that we need to do. People rebelled in the Old Testament because they saw a reward and they saw a way to gain it. And I'm not going to be under this thing anymore. 
when we're children, we are taught to yield to a higher authority. Children are taught to, to yield to the authority of their parents. This is teaching you some things. This is why the Word of God says, honor your father and mother, obey your parents, things like this. Because if we learn that obedience there, we're submitting to a higher authority. And then when we get out in the world, we, we'll, we, uh, we can do that. People of honor do this. The military is one of the places we think so much of honor. In the military, we, they are taught. No matter what, do what the authority says. If he says charge the hill, you charge the hill. If he says pull back, you pull back. Whatever it is that they say, you go out there and do that. When you're in boot camp, they train you this way by having you clean things with toothbrushes. Or march in terrible weather for long hours. Why? Because somebody said so. They have to get it into you. This is imperative. This is what you have to do. And God needs to get that in us. And he's been working on getting this into David. And David's been, been learning. David's been, been yielding to these things. And he's walking in higher and higher honor. Sometimes, though, we are emboldened because we think that our cause or what I see in the Word of God is so right and so important that I begin to rebel and I begin to go against some of the things that God, some of the people that God has put in my life to help me. We're not afraid to speak evil. We're not afraid to hate. We're not afraid to not forgive or to walk in pride. But when we move into that higher level of honor, we'll see things differently. Our motivation will change. How we act, how we speak, how we think. All these things will change. They'll intensify. We will see there's a higher level of all this than I ever saw before. One of the greatest things about it is the more honor you walk in, the more content you are with where you are. Doesn't mean you don't drive for things. Doesn't mean you don't pursue things that God has for you. You just become very content. People who walk in dishonor are very discontented. And you'll see that the higher you go in honor, the more contentment you have. The lower you go in dishonor, the more discontentment you have. It's very proportional. The devil doesn't want you to be content. Your patience, your understanding of why people do the things they do will, will greatly increase because you understand they can't see it from this perspective. I'm operating in a different perspective. God operates in an even different perspective. But they can't see it from this perspective and I have more patience. It's not a patience that subdues the anger that is in me. It's a patience that comes from a greater level of understanding. The lower the honor we walk in, the more we tell people how to live. How many people you have folks in your life always telling you what you should do? Always telling you how you should live? Always telling you, you did that wrong, do it this way. Always telling you, telling you, telling you, telling you, telling you. The lower the honor we walk in, the more we tell people how to live. The higher the level, the more we show people how to live. This is what God wants you to get to. Learn how to demonstrate. Second Samuel chapter 2, verse 1. Let's get to our chapter here. It happened after this that David inquired of the Lord. After this, of course, is when Saul died in the battle. So after that, David inquired the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. David said, Where shall I go up? And he said, To Hebron. So David went up there, and his two wives also, Ahinoam, 
the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David brought up the men who were with him, every man with his household, so they dwelt in the cities of Hebron. Then the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. And they told David, saying, The men of Jabesh-Gilead were the ones who buried Saul. So David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead and said to them, You are blessed of the Lord, for you have shown this kindness to your Lord to Saul and have buried him. And now may the Lord show kindness and truth to you. I will also repay you this kindness because you have done this thing. Now therefore let your hands be strengthened and be valiant, for your master Saul is dead and also the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. So David does not assume anything to do. He doesn't assume, well, now's the time to go back into Judah. He says, uh, God, should I go back into any of the cities of Judah? Now, he does seem to put a restriction on it into the cities of Judah, not the cities of Israel. I'm not sure why. It may be because that's his tribe that he came from. But whatever it is, he puts that restriction. Shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, go up. He said, to which one? He said, Hebron. Now understand, Jerusalem is not under the control of Israel right now. David is the one who brings that under the control of Israel. Right now, it's under the control of the, of the people who uh, inhabited Canaan. But he's going to go and he's going to take that city. And the city will then become the capital uh, of Israel. But he says, right now, go to Hebron, which is one of the more prominent cities of there. So he asked, what should I do? The more honor you walk in, the more honorable your walk, the less assumptions we make. Dishonorable people make assumptions. Honorable people don't. A lot of times we're not even aware of the assumptions that we're making. But you see, the more honor you learn that God has, the more you imitate His honor, the more you go after that walk, the more you can find, oh, that's an assumption. I, I'm assuming that to be, no, no, I need to find that out. I need to ask. And David is walking in this, this now. He's not just assuming, well, I guess it's time for me to go up. He says, shall I go up? God says, yeah, go ahead. Which city? Go up to Hebron. So he goes up to Hebron. And they make him king over Judah. Now, he's not anointed to be king over Judah, is he? He's anointed to be king over Israel. Now, David then, he goes, he looks to honor those who acted with honor. He looks to honor those who acted with honor. The men of Jabesh Gilead are the ones who made the trip. We showed you some of the, the, the parts of the trip that they made before. And they went out there, made that trip, took his body off the wall after the Philistines had pinned his body and the bodies of his sons decapitated them, put their, their uh, bodies up on the wall and did this. Understand, God does not, the, the side of God is not the one who takes bodies and plasters them up on things. That's not God. That's not how God operates. Even when they killed Goliath, they didn't go around and take the Goliath's body and put it up on a wall. That's not how God operates. That's a, a thing of the of Satan's kingdom. The people who follow that kind of motivation. But this is what they did. <clears throat> so David looks to honor those who acted with honor. The men of Jabesh Gilead. If you remember the history of Jabesh Gilead, way back in the book of Judges, the people of Jabesh Gilead were the were the people who did not go to war against Benjamin. Remember Israel had a, a little mini war because Benjamin was uh, har- harboring some uh, homosexual folks and they wanted to bring them to justice. And Benjamin said, nope, we're going to defend them. And so the, the army came after them. It's a big long story that had gone in there. We won't get into all that. But the men of Jabesh Gilead didn't go. 
and so a, a, uh, uh, they had gone against Benjamin and actually wiped out the, all the men in the tribe of Benjamin, but they wanted to preserve the tribe, and so they said, well, we need to, um, we need to take care of this, and so they took uh, people from Jabesh Gilead, and they brought them on in for, uh, for them to be, have the marriages and keep the, the line going. So that's where Jabesh Gilead came in. Now, Saul was of the tribe of Benjamin, and when Jabesh Gilead came under attack, he was the one who rose up and came after their, to defend them. So they remembered, apparently, Saul honored us. Saul came and helped us, and so they went out there and they took his body down and they buried him. Now David heard about this and he wants to reward them. People of honor look to reward other people of honor. They look to reward honor. That's what they, they look to do. Whatever you reward, you will get more of. This is a, this is not a, just a spiritual principle. This is a principle you'll find anywhere around. Whatever you reward, you will get more of. If you reward bad behavior in your children, what will you get? You'll get bad behavior. If you're in line at the Walmart and the kids see the candy in the particular aisle that is there and they raise a fuss and you say no. Then they raise more of a fuss and you say no. And they raise more of a fuss and you say, all right, fine, just stop. And so they stop. What did you reward? You rewarded the bad behavior. Guess what you get? You get more bad behavior. You have to find a way to reward the good behavior. This is uh, what you do. You find this even in economics. It's not just in, in behavior of children. You find this in economics. If you, uh, the government has, uh, has worked this out. Whatever you tax, you are punishing. Whatever you tax, you will punish it. Whatever you tax, you will get less of. That's just how that, it, how that it works. And so over the course, we're looking over the course of decades. I'm not talking about anything just recent. I'm talking about over the course of decades. You saw laws come in to try and regulate these particular things. And uh, if, as you can remember back economically, the government decided we don't like these big salaries that some corporates, corporations are giving their people. So they put a cap on it. And they basically said anything over, I don't know what it was. It was something like a million dollars. If you pay somebody over a million dollars, then we are going to tax it at this rate. They wanted to punish that and keep that from happening. And so guess what people did? And especially as they brought that level down and they began to punish other, other levels, they, they, the employers wanted to get the better people. And so what they came up with is, well, we can find other ways to pay them. How many have ever had health care at your work, provided for by your work? That was brought about because of government tax. It didn't always, it wasn't always there. So what corporations said is, all right, since we can't pay you this much, then what we'll do is we will include your health insurance and that won't be taxed and that won't be counted into your salary. So this is how they got by that. And then as the government found other ways to, to do things and, and so forth, then they came up with, all right, well, beside this, we're also going to give you shares in the company. And so all these other things were created by businesses because the government decided to tax certain aspects of the person's pay. And they were trying to uh, keep attracting the, the better workers that they wanted to do. And this is what they would, would come up with. So whatever it is that you tax, you will get less of because it is a punishment. So understand, the people in government know this. And when they begin to tax something, it is because they want less of it. 
That's it. That's how it is. It is a as a principle. Whatever you reward, you get more of. Whatever you punish, you get less of. And it works in all kinds of areas. It doesn't just work in economic. It doesn't just work in behavior. It works all kinds of of ways. And you can, if you put some thought to this, you can think of some other areas where this is going on. That if we reward it, then we get more of it. If we don't, if we, if we, you have to find a way to, um, to punish or to um, affect the things that you don't want. And it comes, becomes real creative when you're dealing with kids. Just as employers became creative about how to attract the kind of workers they wanted, we can also be creative and how we are working with each other. And the best one at it is God. God knows how to creatively encourage you in the behaviors that are beneficial. We can learn a whole lot from Him. But I put this in your outline. It's, uh, it's kind of an important principle. And since the kids are here with us today, this is a principle I want you to be able to, to walk home with and to go. Honor promotes honor, while dishonor only increases itself. Honor promotes honor, while dishonor only increases itself. This is the thing that will go on. Now, I put the wrong reference in there. I'm not going to read this for you, but in Mark chapter 14, we were reading there this, this week, and if you've uh, read the story of the woman who came in and poured the oil on the, uh, on the feet of Jesus, it was a costly oil, and so forth. Do you remember in the story, it said that Judas Iscariot, he was he got upset at this and he voiced the opinion that some others shared, but he's the one who voiced it. And he said, why was this not sold and the money given to the poor? And it says in the Word of God that he didn't care about the poor. He didn't say that because he cared about the poor. He said it because he had control of the money purse and he wanted all that money to go in the money purse and the more money that's in there, the more he could uh, weasel out of it without anybody knowing. He wanted to steal from it. That's why he said it. But when he said this, in that passage, it said that, that they, it was, it was he who spoke that. But they began to be, be critical as well. You will find this, that people of dishonor, when they hear dishonor, gravitate to it. People of honor, when they hear things of dishonor, they move away from it. But people of dishonor gravitate to it. Just, uh, just do this. How many, uh, where you work or in your neighborhood, I'm sure you, you're in one of those areas somewhere during the, the week, either in your neighborhood or at work. You ever heard people just go off on gossip? How many people know somebody in your neighborhood or know somebody at work who's a gossip? They just love to talk about other people, other stuff. And when they do, aren't there certain people who kind of come around? Why? They're people of dishonor. And they just gravitate to it. The more honor that you walk in, the more that repels you. Oh, is that what you're talking about? Oh, I'm going over here. And I don't want to be there. But people of dishonor, their curiosity is up. Oh, what did they say? Oh, what did they do? <gasps> no, they didn't. Well, I heard. And they begin to just come up. You see that it stirs up the honor. People that are going in a way of dishonor, pursue it. And they hear it from other people. And when they, they see it, they, they, they run after it. And it fosters more dishonor in them. And it brings them down, down, and down. 
but we are to be out there and to bring in the honor. Now, I brought a couple of things up here for us. These are Christmas presents. At least there's representing Christmas presents. One of the things that you will note about things of dishonor and things of honor is that things of dishonor and things of honor look similar at times, especially to certain people. In fact, it was not until you walked in more honor that you could even tell that something was of dishonor. I couldn't even tell that. I didn't know that that was something of dishonor. I didn't know that showing up late for work was a thing of dishonor. I see, my parents, when we were growing up, they taught us this. You know, if we did not arrive at a place 10, 15 minutes early, we were late. It was not, you were not on time if you were on time. If you were supposed to be there at 7 a.m. in the morning and you showed up at 6.59, I am late. I'm apologizing. I come on, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm late. And, you know, the first time I did this in a couple of employees' places, I show up, I'm supposed to be there at 7, I'm not there until 5 of 7. Man, this is, I'm just really kind of cutting it closer. I'm sorry, I would have been here sooner. I wasn't expecting this. What do you mean you're here early? And so most times that I would go into work, I would show up to work early and bring stuff to read and sit in one of the booths. In Ken's Pizza, I'd sit in one of the booths and I'd get there 15, 20, 30 minutes early. And I'd sit in one of the booths and just uh, bring some of my schoolwork along and, and work on that. And it, it, it did, never failed. They would always come over to me and say, wow, you're here early. Uh, yeah, I, and I know I'm not on till four, but um, I just brought in some schoolwork. I'm going to work on this. And when you're ready for me, you know, that way they don't have to, I don't clock in early. They're not paying me overtime. They don't like to, to do that too much. What well, was your mind clocking in? No, not at all. <laughs> and so I would, I would clock on in. And I would, uh, I would do that. But I learned, don't show up late. And to this day, I, I cannot do it. I cannot be late. When we were out in the Philippines, they had Filipino time. And I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't survive out there. I barely made it for the three weeks we were out there. But Philippine time, you know, they, they had a service. First service we were supposed to be at, it started at 7 o'clock. It's 6 o'clock. We should probably be heading over there, right? 6 o'clock. We should be getting over to church. I should be there early by now. 6.30? 7 o'clock? Why aren't we going? Oh, it's Filipino time. We get over to church at 7.30 only because I kept asking them. (laughs) No one's there. No one's in the church. Come 8 o'clock, some people start rolling on in. How do you know where do you do this? How in the world do you have it? This is what time we're going to start, but we don't actually mean until 8, 8.30. I, I couldn't understand that. That would just drive me crazy. But you see, if I walk in a level of honor, I measure things by that level. Remember last time we kids were here, we brought this in. This is a cubit. And we measure things by that. If I feel like five minutes late is on time, then I measure everything by me being five minutes late. I'm not late. <laughs> it's only seven it's only uh seven minutes after four. I'm not late. I'm not supposed to be here until four. Uh yeah, right, four. Four. And uh 
we would measure things by that. You see, I can't create my own measuring stick and measure things about it. So I have to take the things that are out there, the things that are honor, things that are dishonor. Remember the Word of God talks about in a house, there are things of honor, things of dishonor. I've got to take the Word of God and I've got to measure them. They may look the same, but I have to use the Word of God to measure it by. And so I take the things and I measure it by the Word. Is this a thing of honor? Well, most people see this as something of honor, but the Word of God says no. So therefore, it's not a thing of honor. Yeah, but most people see that as a thing of honor. That doesn't matter. My God doesn't see it as a thing of honor. I need to get rid of it. I need to put it down. You see, the more you walk into things of honor, when you go out there and you, you watch movies, I don't know about you, but I never really watched any of the really, uh, what you would consider to be a raunchy movie. People talk about the scary movies that are out there. I didn't watch them because they would scare me. I didn't watch them because I didn't like them. I didn't like watching all that, that sort of stuff. You know, it's, I didn't even like the Adams Family. Every one of my friends liked the Adams Family. I couldn't stand it. If I was over at my friend's house and they turned on the Adams Family, I'd leave. I would. I just would, I'd, If you're going to watch this, I'm going home. And they would watch it and I would leave. I would go. It just it, it, it bothered me on the inside. Now, most people, that didn't bother. I'm not saying that I was so spiritual that I just didn't like it. It just bothered me. I didn't put it on at home. I heard uh, some Christians, you know, they would watch certain things and oh, no, I'm not going to watch that. I don't want to, I, I don't want to see that. And, uh, you know, when I went to college, this is the first time I found out that Christians actually went to R-rated movies. I didn't know Christians went to R-rated movies. But uh, apparently the other, some of them in college are going out. Oh, going to, oh, wait a minute, that's an R-rated movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. No, I'm not going. And I didn't go. <laughs> I didn't bother with them. Um, but the more that you walk into things of honor, the more the things that didn't bother you five years ago, now all of a sudden you sit there and you watch them, it disturbs me in my spirit. You used to be able to take a lot more cuss words hearing people do it. Now you can't, eat, now you can't stand them. You used to be able to take a, a lot of dishonor that people would walk in. Uh, at some of the news that you used to be able to watch 10 years ago, now you can't watch it. You see, because you moved up in honor. You're walking more honor now that bothers you more than it did before. So we've got to take the Word of God and we've got to measure it by these things. And I've got to make sure I am drawn to the things of honor and not to the things of dishonor. But they're going to keep trying to pull you over. They're going to keep trying to bring you over to their side. They're going to get you to change the things that you say. Is that language honoring God? Are those thoughts honoring God? Is that music honoring God? It's those things that you listen to. Is this honoring God? Well, the Word doesn't say I can't listen to it. No, it doesn't. But when you walk in a lower, higher level of honor, that honor is calling for it. Stay out, stay out of this. You see, David did, did not do some things that other people around him, other Christians, other believers, strong believers said, go out there and do it. Come on. David said, no. Because he understood. Honor promotes honor, while dishonor only increases itself. When you start to walk in honor, you start to increase it. Remember we said before, you walk in a level of honor where you're at, you can see the next level up. Once you begin to see it, you can learn about it. Once you learn about it, you can operate in it. Once you start to operate in it, you begin to, to function that new level of honor, you can begin to see something more. 
And the higher up you move in honor, the more you understand your God, the more you will understand your word. And that's what God wants us to get to. The more you grow in honor, the less you can watch, listen, speak, or even think what you used to. I used to be able to watch that. I can't watch that anymore. Yeah. Yeah, there's, I used to go to some movies that were PG. And I can't even go to a lot of those anymore. They, they, they just bother me. I'll wait for it to come on the TV when they clean it up a little bit. <laughs> and it's, then I can, then sometimes I can, I can watch it, but not always. There are some things that are out there I just, I don't need it. I just, I just don't need it. But the more you're growing on, the less you can watch, listen. When people start to speak about things of dishonor, you can't hear it. I need to go away. Speak. Sometimes some Christians can say some things that we shouldn't say. Or even think. And it's not just a matter of the things that you won't watch, listen to, speak, or think. It's the things that you will. The disciples were exhorted how many times? Don't preach in the name of Jesus. What did they do? God make us bolder <laughs> so that we'll preach even more. Because they knew that brought honor to God. You see, what used to be good soil for those things is no longer. You used to have some good soil in you for things of dishonor. But you don't have that anymore. And those things of dishonor, they aren't growing the way they used to. What used to be good soil for those things, it's no longer good soil. That's where we need to be. Verse 8, But Abner, the son of Nair, commander of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim. And he made him king over Gilead, over the Asherites, over Jezreel, over Ephraim, over Benjamin, and over all Israel. Isbosheth was Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel, and he reigned two years. Only the house of, David, of Judah followed David, and the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. How old was, it, was Isbosheth? 40 years old. How many sons of Saul died in the battle? Three. How come Ishbosheth isn't in the battle? Why is he not in there? How is it that Saul, when he spoke of the successor to his throne, does not mention Ishbosheth, who is 40 years old? Who does he mention? Jonathan, who's a younger son. Why would he take a younger son and make him king over this guy? Why would he do that? Because apparently this was the least desirable of Saul's sons to reign. And Abner decided to make him king. He decided. Understand that he didn't seek after God. He didn't say whether God should or not. Does Abner know that David is called to be king? He certainly does. He's the one who saw David when he came in and slew Goliath. He's the one who heard the songs that were sung. He was the one who saw that David went out into the battle. 
We're going to learn a few things about Abner here. Abner has some good qualities, but <laughs> there's there's not there's some not so good qualities too about him. And he goes over here. He doesn't seek after God. God, should we make Ishbosheth the king? What would God have said to him? No, David's the king. I called David to be king. So Abner knows that David is anointed to be king, knows that the hand of God is with him, has seen David go out in the battle, and has behaved more honorably and better than anyone else who went out to battle. The people were singing songs about David. They gave him credit for tens of thousands. Every place that he was sent, he was successful in. And the man had so much honor that two times Abner let him get to Saul. And David spared him. And the second time he called Abner out and said, Abner, how come you're not guarding the king? And Abner decides to not go with David. We're going to find out that Abner is a little bit full of himself. He's, he, he likes his position of being in there and, and steering the country where it's going to go. People who don't walk in all the honor that they should get a little more proud about themselves. Verse 12, And now Abner, the son of Ner, the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out from Mahanaim to Gibeon, and Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and the servants of David went out and met him, met them by the pool of Gibeon. So they sat down, one on one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool. And Abner said to Joab, Let the young man now arise and compete before us. And Joab said, Let them arise. So they arose and went over by number, twelve from Benjamin, followers of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and twelve from the servants of David. And each one grasped his opponent by the head and thrust his sword in his opponent's side, so they fell down together. Therefore the, that place was called the Field of Sharp Swords, which is in Gibeon. So there was a fierce battle that day, and Abner and the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. Now, if there is a fierce battle, how many people would you expect to die? In a fierce battle. Fierce battle. That's all it's described here. Fierce battle. How many people would you expect to be, to be dead? Now, of course, it depends on how many people are in battle. And it doesn't seem like there's more than a, uh, maybe a few hundred from David's side, maybe a thousand. He's got his 600 men. They're probably all there. And maybe some other people from, from Judah. And then they, they have the men of Abner, which seems to be restricted to the people of Benjamin. It seems to just be Benjamin, the house of Saul, and house of David. So it may just be a few thousand that are there. When we go through this, we're going to find out how many people died. And when you see the number, you're going to be kind of surprised. Really? And this is a fierce battle? Now, how many people do we have dead so far? We start this battle off with people dying. How many people from Benjamin's side? Twelve. How many people from David's side? Twelve. That's exactly right. All right. So... Mia, do that quick math in your head. How many people is that? 12 and 12. 24? 24 people. In fact, 100% of the people who have engaged in battle are dead. It's another way to look at it. 24 people, 12 from each side. Not a whole lot of fanfare. 
They grab each other by the head or by the beard. Throw the, the sword through and each side dies. All 12 of them had the same strategy. Isn't that weird? All 12 from this side and all 12 from this side, they all had the same strategy. Alright guys, when we go out there, grab them by the beard, pull them in, hit them with the, with the sword. And the other side's doing exactly, that just sounds weird to me. You think if 12 people are going to go out there and battle, how many are lo- looking for a sword fight? You know, I want to get one of those, uh, who's, who's that, who's that guy who, who does the sword, the Zorro? Zorro got there. I want, I want to see a Zorro sword fight. Or, you know, Princess Bride. How many watch the Princess Bride? Princess Bride, we, we got the, the two guys. I mean, those are two honorable guys out there. They, those are people with honor. You know, the guy drops the sword. Do you mind if I pick it up? No, no, no. Go ahead and pick it up. <laughs> and they go out there and they, they had fun with their, with their battle. My favorite part of that entire battle is uh, the one guy smiling. Why are you smiling? He says, because I am not left-handed. And he switches over to the right hand. And the other guy is still smiling. And why are you still smiling? I'm not left-handed either. And he switches over. So they're all, fu- they're all fighting with their left hand, even though they're right-handed people. That's how good they were. <laughs> that was a great line. I, I enjoyed that part of the, of the movie. But there was a fierce battle, it says in verse 17. Now Abner leads Israel into war. If God desired David to be king, why does the war go on? Why is there a war if God has said, David, I want you to be king. I've anointed you to be king. I've had the word come through the prophet. The former king knows that you are to be king. He has stated that you are to be king. The people of the land know that you are to be king. And yet we have a war. How can you have everybody know what God wants to do? God has announced this plan. God has anointed the man to be in place. God has prepared the man to be in place. How is it that we have a war to bring this thing about? Is the war in God's plan? Now see, some theologians and some Christians are going to have you believe that the war would be in God's plan because whatever happens is God's plan. Because God is in control. I despise that. Despise that. In fact, if I had the Christian radio, I very seldom had the Christian radio station on in my car, just in case you're all wondering. I'm not that spiritual. Because most of the time the Christian radio station is on, they're playing Christian, what they call Christian music. I had to listen to it. What do you mean? That's not true. <laughs> I'm arguing with the thing, so I just turn it off. I put on, I told you before, I put on classical music. Because you know what the words are for classical music? None. <laughs> Most of them were written for churches by Christian people. I just sit down, listen to the classical music, and I can, I don't have to fight with the lyrics. But the, the Christian station is on, you got to fight with the lyrics. You know, telling you what God has done. God is in control. Whatever happens is, is God's place. No! So I don't want that stuff. So I don't always, I have the Christian station on in my car when uh, other people are in it because they don't like classical music. If Nikolai and I were going somewhere, we put on the classical music, we're fine. But uh, I, I'll throw that other stuff on uh, just for that. But there's, there's times my wife will be listening to some of the two. Oh, I don't like this. Oh, this song. Oh. <laughs> yeah, we just don't need that, that kind of a fight going on. But here's this, this war that's happening. Why in the world are we having this war? If you've ever wondered, 
Did I do something wrong that the thing that God promised me is not mine yet? The answer very well could be no. You didn't do anything wrong at all. You see, in order for God to bring about his plan, he's anointed David to be king. He's rejected Saul and his house. Not just Saul, he rejected his house. He's rejected Saul and his house from being king. What has caused Ishbosheth to be king? Is it God? It is not. Who is it? It's people. Who has kept David from being king? It's people. You see, God may have a plan. He may have a stated purpose. He may have a direction that he wants you to go. But the ones that can stand in the way are people. And I can show you a number of places in the Word of God where this is the case. It is people that try and stop the plan. In this particular case, they put the wrong man in charge. Abner's out there. He's selling Isbosheth on people. And I'll bet you it was a sell job. You could not, not do this uh, real well. He's, he, he, said he must be a salesman on the order of, uh, you know, like a, a what's that guy? Uh, Bill Gates. Bill Gates is not a computer guy. And he's also not a virus guy. He is a salesman guy. Bill Gates is a salesman. He can sell stuff. I learned out about him way, way back when um, most of you folks didn't even know what a computer was. But I got into computers when the computers first came out. Personal PCs came out when they first came out. I got one of the first ones. I was into them. I was messing with them. You wouldn't believe how much money I paid for my first computer. And I paid with my own money uh, to help out a church I was working with. Then they wanted to go computer. And so I got, uh, uh, I think I spent about $3,500 on a computer with a monitor that was color right i had a color monitor i sprung for the extra couple hundred bucks to go from the monochrome orange or monochrome green and i had i think you know our color monitors back then i think we had eight or 16 colors i forget which what it was but that was it that was it we had a dos computer and i had two floppy drives on my computer anybody know what a floppy drive is yeah you probably don't because a floppy drive was actually floppy <laughs> most people know floppy drives are that hard little plastic case thing yeah that came out afterwards these were five and a half, five and a quarter inch, no, five and a half inch floppy. They, they, they flopped. I mean, they, you could bend them. And I had two on my computer. Mine was souped up. I got it souped up, folks. I got, I, you ready for this? I had a hard drive on mine. I had a whopping, and this was a whopping 10 gigs of storage space. I didn't misquote that. Uh, 10 gigs. 10. One, zero. You're, me- you're measuring them by thousands. We didn't measure them by thousands. And if you knew how much memory I had, because I upgraded that too, I had 256K of memory. Not meg. K. And I paid $3,500 for that system. And it ran on DOS. Which most people probably couldn't operate today. Uh, nobody could operate it today. But even back then, most people had a hard time operating it. The, you actually had to no commands and type a command into a computer. You couldn't just point at something and click. There was no point and click. But back in those days, they had a, they were trying to get Windows. Anybody, how many people have been a Windows customer for a long time on a computer? Long time. How many go back to Windows version 1? How many go back to Windows version 2? 
2.0. How many go back to Windows version 3? Windows goes all the way back to these versions. In fact, when Bill Gates got out to sell Windows to IBM, because IBM was the computer company, if you got IBM to buy it, then you got everybody to buy it. And he sold IBM on the computer system, Windows 1.0. Windows 1.0 did not work. It did not work. It was a failed system. And he sold it to them. But most people put Windows 1.0 on their system. You folks who raised your hand, how many know this? You put Windows 1.0 on your system, it saw that it didn't work, and it sat there. You didn't do anything with it because Windows 1.0 didn't work. What was funny was there was a system out there that did. And I keep talking about this because I, I'll keep their name alive because I think it was a highway robbery that these guys did not get to get the gig with IBM. There's a company called Quarterdeck. And they made a Windows system that actually worked. And IBM decided to buy the one that didn't work over the one that did. You wonder why IBM is not in the computer business anymore. Windows 2.0 came out. Everybody took, bought Windows 2.0, put it on their system. It didn't work. Windows 3.0 came out. Everybody bought Windows 3.0, put it on their systems. It didn't work. It did not work until Windows 3.11. It's when it first started to bring some of the things that it was supposed to do to life. Three point, that's, that's three plus versions afterwards. Until finally, he's a salesman. He could sell people on stuff. And see, the Abner was a salesman. He was able to sell people on a failed king that his own father gave up on as far as being king. And God didn't want him to be king either. But he sold him on this. That's what we went out there to do. When people want different things than God wants, a battle will arise. It will arise, and what is against God will rise up to keep what God desires and even has called to come about to keep from happening. Whenever you see God has declared a thing, there will be people who will not go along with it and there will be a battle to bring it about. When that battle goes on, in the stories of the Word of God, in the narratives in the Old Testament, in the narratives in the New Testament, I could take you through them, but we're not going to get into all that right now. You will see that there were believers in God on both sides. And one side was wrong. And one side fought against God. Throughout history, this has gone on. That's why you need to be sure what side you're on. Now, many see this battle as the will of God. It is not the will of God. God wants what? What is the will of God? Make David king. I've prepared him. I've called him. I've anointed him. Make him king. What are they doing? Something else. You always see this kind of a battle come in. And enemy will try and confuse the people of God to get them on the wrong side. Verse 18. Now the three sons of Zeruiah were there, Joab, Abishai, and Asahel. And Asahel was as fleet of foot as a wild gazelle. So Asahel pursued Abner, and in going he did not turn to the right hand or to the left from following Abner. Then Abner looked behind him and said, Are you Asahel? 
He answered, I am. And Abner said to him, Turn aside to your right hand or to your left and lay hold of one of the young men. Take his armor for yourself. But Asahel would not turn aside from following him. So Abner said again to Asahel, Turn aside from following me. Why should I strike you to the ground? How then could I face your brother Joab? However, he refused to turn aside. Therefore, Abner struck him in the stomach with the blunt end of the spear so that the spear came out of his back and he fell down there and died on the spot. So it was that as many as came to the place where Asahel fell down and died stood still. They were shocked. How how did he die and die this way? They were shocked. Now, why does Asahel pursue Abner the way that he does? Why is it that a man of this stature, he was he was high up, he was among the, the, the three sons that just were so integral, integral in all of David's affairs. Why does he not just pull up and listen to Abner? The reason is this. He sees Abner as the reason why this war is going on. He's the reason. He's the reason that Ishbosheth is in power. He's the reason that we're having to fight this war. I don't care about anyone else in this entire battle. I care about getting him. Now, how many think that God could get behind that? And yet, who won? Doesn't that kind of perplex you a little bit? So, Asahel saw Abner. He was the obstacle to a united kingdom. Abner didn't want to kill Asahel. He may have already determined. He may have already seen this battle was lost. He may have already seen that Saul's kingdom was doomed. His future is probably in mind here. He may have already seen what we put Ishbosheth in, but he's doing a lousy job. Terrible job. I mean, the guy is just incompetent, and you're going to see this if you pursue the rest of the story. You're going to see he is an incompetent leader. And Abner's the guy who put him in charge. And he may be seeing, I put him in charge, but this is bad news. This is bad direction. And he may already be trying to say, what am I going to do when I when this kingdom comes back together? If I kill the brother of Joab, how am I going to survive in that kingdom? And so I think he doesn't care about Asahel so much. He doesn't even really know him. Is that you, Asahel? He cares about when Ishbosheth fails, and it probably it seems to him that this is going to happen. How am I going to get into David's kingdom and be able to rule with this? So he's more on, on that end of things. Verse 24. Joab and Abishai also pursued Abner. And the sun was going down when they came to the hill of Amma, which is before Geah by the road of the wilderness of Gibeon. Now the children of Benjamin gathered together behind Abner and became a unit and took their stand on top of a hill. Then Abner called to Joab and said, Shall the sword devour forever? Do you not know that it will be bitter in the latter end? How long will it be? Then until you tell the people to return from pursuing their brethren. And Joab said, As God lives, unless you had spoken, surely then by morning all the people would have given up pursuing their brethren. So Joab blew a trumpet, and all the people stood still and did not pursue Israel anymore, nor did they fight anymore. Then Abner and his men went on that night through the plain, crossed over the Jordan. They went on the uh, east side of the Jordan and went through all Bithron, and they came to Mahanaim. So the battle stops. Abner is basically saying, you know, we're losing this battle. Uh, why do you want to keep on going and killing people? So they, they gave it up. But he, st- he stops the pursuit. Joab stops the pursuit of Abner's men. This is probably not what Joab wants. 
as his brother was killed. I'm sure he knows about this. His brother was killed. He probably does not want to stop. He probably wants to press on in this, but it's going to be beneficial for David, better for David's purposes, if this battle stops. So what you have is Joab. Joab is like like a lot of Christians. And fiercely loyal to David. But there's very little spiritual depth to him. There's very little morals to him. He will do things that are immoral. He will do things that are not right. He will do things that are very selfish. But he is extremely loyal to David. David keeps him around. Because he's also very good at his job. He's very good at what he does. So for his faults, Joab is very faithful to David. Now, honor promotes honor. Everybody say that with me. Honor promotes honor. honor, promotes honor. While dishonor only increases itself. We need to be on the side of promoting honor, not on the side of promoting dishonor or going in the direction of, of dishonor. In verse 24, Joab and Abishai also pursued Abner and the sun was going down. We already read that, didn't we? Why did I copy that in again? Uh, well, in verse 29, Then Abner and his men went on all that night through the plain, crossed over the Jordan, and went through all Bithron, and they came to Mahanium. Now there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, but David grew stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. They were, they were not doing, doing that well. They kept getting weaker. Well, the guy at the head of Ishbal said, this is not a man of honor. He's a man of dishonor. He's already been rejected by his father, who was a man of dishonor, who couldn't find enough honor in this son to decide to pass the throne on to him. What's that tell you about this guy and his honor? But he goes on, in this battle, we will find out that 19 of David's men died. 19. Now, remember the numbers we found here at the beginning? We know that 12 men died from David at the beginning. beginning. The 19 who died is in addition to Asahel. So, when you add him in there, that's 20. So, we already know 12 died. Then he died. That's 13. 13 from 20 is how many? Seven. Seven. Seven people of David's died in the battle. Does that sound like a fierce battle to you? When they did the count, there was about 360 from the other side that died. You may wonder, well, how come the battle was so lopsided? Why did so many die on this side and not so many die on this side? When David did his raids, how many people died from the other side? 100%. How many people died from David's? None. Many times we see that in there. None died from David's side. 100% of the other side died. This tells you a couple of things. God was on their side. His men fought with valor. And they were good. It also tells you this. Joab was real good at his job. He was a good general. And in this battle, he outgenerals Abner. Keep that in mind when we look at another part of the story. This, this, he outgenerals Abner. 
Later on, David is going to select Abner to be the new general over Joab. Why would you do that? Why would you pick somebody who was not as good at his job to replace somebody who is better? We'll have to wait till we get to there to, to, to look at that one. But honor promotes honor. Dishonor only increases itself. You see, Ishbosheth is a person of dishonor. All he can do is multiply dishonor to the kingdom. Abner is a person of some honor, but not the honor that he needs to be. Not for the position that he has. The dishonor in the north is increasing. While the honor with David and his men and what he passes on is increasing. When you increase in honor, you will increase in strength. Now remember the the thing we gave you way back in the beginning. Through the mercy of God, through the grace of God, through the favor of God, you will attract the blessings of God. But it is the honor of God that reels them in. And we saw that with Saul, these, these things attracted blessings to him, but he didn't walk in the honor. And what was attracted to him, what God was sending his way, was repulsed and went away. And God says, I have rejected you. And there's other people that you can see this with as well. Just about everybody that he called to the northern kingdom. I want you to be king next. The calling came, the blessing came, because they walked in a way of favor. They walked in a way of, of, of honor. And this stuff was, was being drawn to them. But then when they were put under the microscope, they walked in a way of dishonor. Jeroboam said, I've got to set up other gods. Other ones walked away from God. They were with God all the way up until they became king and then they walked away from it. They came into dishonor. See, they didn't, they didn't pursue it. They didn't stay with it. I've got to stay with the things of honor and multiply the things of honor in my life. That means that I don't do what I want to do. I do what those over me have told me to do. Do you remember a verse in the, in the Word of God? that said unless you are faithful with what is another's God cannot trust you with what is your own or he will not give you what is your own you see it is not enough for me to say well I am faithful and I do what God says because I can tell you well God told me to do this but you see when God puts me under somebody and that person says I need you to do this I'm not going to do that see I walk in dishonor you walk in dishonor that way. Now, if you've got people that are telling you to do things that are dishonorable, <laughs> that's a different matter. You don't, want to be, you don't want to be around all that sort of stuff. People of honor easily accept those who have repented of the evil they were in because of this simple principle. Honor promotes honor while dishonor only increases itself. People of honor will easily accept those who have repented of evil. When you, look, when you picture David... And David has somebody who sinned. David, and they come before David. David, I have sinned. How many of you think that David would say, well, tough. Off with your head. No, now he condemned the last guy we saw in the last chapter because he wouldn't confess to anything as far as sin. No, no, what I did was right. No, it wasn't right if you actually did that. But Saul, when you look at Saul, if someone comes to him and they have been guilty of something, what would Saul do? He would kill them. People of honor accept those who have repented of evil because 
of this simple principle. The more I walk in that principle, the more I understand this is what God does. God sees me in disobedience. I come to him and I say, Father, will you forgive me? And he says, yes, but it's because of this principle of honor. You see, he has seen the honor in me that has said, Father, I repent. I need to do what you want me to do. He sees that honor. He wants to promote that honor. But we look at God and we say, God, how can you do that? And we see what he does in honor as something of dishonor because I haven't come to understand that my God is a God of honor. And I attribute what he has done in honor to dishonor. You see, as long as I'm walking in those things, I can't understand my God and I can't understand his word to the depth that I can, to the depth that I, I have potential for. That's why you've got to keep pursuing it. Whatever level of honor you're on, keep looking up. Father God, there's more out there. There's more for me to learn. There's more for me to have. When you are under parents, kids, when you're under parents, listen to them. Learn from that. Don't keep fighting them all the time. Don't keep saying, no, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm going to do my own thing. Because the more I give in to my own will and do my own thing, the more I walk in the way of dishonor and I promote dishonor, I will promote dishonor in my life, I will go in the direction of dishonor. But the more I learn to submit and to do an honorable thing, then the more I will walk in that honor. And the more I will understand my God. See, people of honor easily accept those who are repentant of evil. Of the evil that they were in because of the principle. Honor promotes honor, while dishonor only increases itself regardless of the angry words and actions that those people have done. See, one of the things that David's going to see is when he sees Abner come to him, he's going to see Abner come and repent. I should have made you king. And David is going to see some honor in that. And he's going to want to promote it. He's going to want to, I see honor, I want to promote honor. He wants to call Abner up to a higher level of honor. Doesn't quite get to that spot, but we'll have to wait to see what, what happens in there. See, those people of dishonor shun those forever who call them out. You ever seen people in, in your life, relatives, people in the neighborhood, friends, and once someone has done them wrong, that's it? You're dead to me. I'm not going to forgive you. Nothing like that will ever happen because they are people of dishonor. You see, only people of honor can see that good that's in there and want to promote it. People of dishonor won't do this. We've got to be, answer that call to go to the people of honor, to be a people of honor. Because when we do, we'll understand why it was that God honored David the way that he did, that God said, David, of your house, I'm going to make an enduring house. And you will always have someone on the throne. And why Jesus Christ would be born to this line. But you see, if I don't understand who God is, I look at David and I look at all the things that David did that was wrong. How can God honor this man? Because I haven't understood what I need to understand. The more we look at honor in the Word, the more we can understand our God. Would you stand up with me? Glory to God. Father, we are called to be people of honor. 
you have called us to, to walk in honor. And that's not an easy walk. There are many who will try and pull us from that walk of honor. We will have peers, we will have friends who will say, no, but come and do this. And we'll feel the pull. We'll feel the tug. And the enemy wants to get us to follow after things that are dishonorable. The speaking evil of others. The unforgiveness of people in our lives who have asked to be forgiven. The anger because certain things haven't happened the way I wanted it to. In the time frame that I wanted it to happen in. So many more things are things of dishonor. When we pursue the things of honor and we begin to call these things in, honor promotes honor. We begin to see more honor come into our lives. And we can understand the God of honor even better. And I thank you for it. I give you the praise and the glory for, the where, for where you will call us to be and what you will call us to walk in for what is ahead. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. There's blessings that are out there for you. God wants them to bring them in. But you have to be willing to be a person of honor, to stand for that honor, regardless of the people that are in your life that are saying, look, if you don't want to kill them, I'll kill them. I'll take them out. You don't have to have a hand in it. Just say the word, I'll take care of it. There are people around you that will try and pull you into things that are dishonorable. And it does not matter if the world thinks that this is something of dishonor. What matters is what has God taught you is the thing of honor. Has he taught you not to speak evil, not to think unpleasant things, not to think the worst of other people, but to think the best has he taught you not to make assumptions? These are things we can need to walk in. You see, the more honor that you walk in, when you step out of it, it's down on the inside of you. It checks you. Oh, I don't know. Something's not... I shouldn't be doing this. There's, it's, it's down. That's the spirit. The spirit, of, the spirit of God is the spirit of honor. And he checks you. Oh, I don't know. And it, right then it should just tell you, back off. Back off. Don't, don't say that. Don't do that. Don't think that. Don't listen to that. Don't go after that. Don't pursue it. But a lot of times we go right past the, the stop sign. We just step out there. No, no, I'm going to go ahead and do this because I'm going to do what I want. But God will help you. And just know when we miss it, this is the viewpoint that God has. There's a view of us from honor. He sees us and he says, I want to I want to bring that honor out of you. I want to help you. That's the loving God that we serve. And that's what we should mimic. We should do. Have a blessed rest of your day. Bless some folks before you go. And we'll see some of you here on Wednesday night.